Okay. And buy a new laptop. Yep. Welcome to Technical Difficulties. The podcast ran mostly out of tin cans and string. Ah, fucking, here we go, huh? Pull on our feet laptop. I might have to. I mean, it's seven years old. That's not bad. Mine's been dead for like seven years, so you got me there. Mm. Ladies and future boys, welcome to the School for Wayward Nerds. We apologize in advance for how this may sound. This is the only podcast that needs to stop mispronouncing Marinara's Trench. And my name is Toby DePaula. I love that band. Is that a band? Yeah. Huh. What's the one from Aquaman? Same one. All right. It is the deepest point in the ocean. It's the one piece of earth I can fuck. We have a lot to cover today, so let's get, let's get into it. No wonder my laptop just was like, no. <laughs> yes, this week we are back on the Venture Train. Season 4 of Venture Bros has been a big and rich topic, but it's time to round this thing out. Are you ready, Bruiser Kyle? As ready as I can be. I wouldn't say we're prepared, but we're ready. <laughs> um, Alright, we're kicking things up with the 50th episode of the run, which is Any Which Way But Zeus. Uh, I will say right off the bat, this is a great dialogue episode. Um, Doc and Hatred roasting Hank, uh, the red tape stuff with the guild and OSI, the mournful tits conversation. That's a good one to YouTube. I'm sure it's up somewhere. Um, yeah, it's a good one for that. I like it. Um, but, um, the episode itself is about sidekicks and henchmen getting kidnapped, um, seemingly by Zeus. And from that, you know, your three main plot points stem, uh, one being Rusty not getting kidnapped anymore. Um, so the boys in Sergeant Hatred pretend to take him, like, they sort of do a sympathy hostage situation, you know? I mean, if you if that's what you've grown up being used to, and it just doesn't happen, what are you going to do? Do you reckon Dick Grayson misses the shitty hostage situation at the end of every episode of the 60s? Well, see, I, I, I feel like that's slightly different, because he looked back, saw what happened to Jason, and was like, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> it's like, I'm glad I got out when I did. Um, yeah, I enjoyed this beat. It's fun. Um, the voice changer masks worn in the episode were worn out of episode two. Like, they recorded it with the Optimus Prime voice changer and the Hulk voice changer. That's their, um, disguises so they can't recognize voices as well as blindfolded. Um, um, I like, I also like the way Hank does the rope torture from that James Bond movie, but didn't cut a hole in the chair, so it's just nothing. Yeah. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. When he's got the big knot on the chair, he's, like, whacking James Bond in the nuts. Yep. I only know it from fucking Meet the Spartans. Oh. I know. I don't James watch James Bond, Bond movies. <laughs> but, yeah, um, he's just whacking a chair. Because I thought that would be uncomfortable. And all that setup will lead into a fun Arkham Asylum-style episode later on. Mm. Um, when they have to go and save the teddy bear that Doc talks to. They talk to a lot of inanimate objects. It's not even that. Show. It's the third person taking him hostage is, like, a Teddy Ruxpin. Yeah. So he thinks that's, like, the good cop in the hostage situation. Is like, he just keeps having one-sided conversations with it, because that's what Doc is. Did you have a Teddy Ruxpin? No, I had, I was, I'm, a, I'm a young fella. I had Furbies and stuff. Oh. Yeah, while that's going on, we get, um, we get a cameo from the heads of Adult Swim at the time, which is Keith Crawford and Mike Lazo, who are both canonically killed off by OSI for witnessing a team-up. See, Zeus isn't with OSI or the Guild. In fact, he is actively working against both parties. 
So the good and the evil bureaus assemble a panel of experts to crack the case. Lots of red tape gags, and it's pretty funny. I like that stuff too. Phantom Limb has to be depowered, so he, he looks cool when he's not completely invisible. Like, his arms are very glassy and you can see the bones and nerves, so it's, it's a cool visual. Yeah. Whereas um, Doctor Impossible, you know, newly practicing villain, is all droopy and floppy now. Yeah. Because he's also depowered. Um, yeah, he's learning the ropes of being a villain. It's pretty good. Um, and OSI I mean, are going through kind of essentially airport security. Like, we got a bit of General Trister in there too, which I always enjoy. Big shouting man. Um, after some bickering, they come down to a major suspect. I, I like the breakdown of this episode. You're better off watching it. I'm going to say that. So, um, spoilers. Um, the suspect is Captain Sunshine. Yeah. He matches the power set of, of the Zeus character and apparently calls in who, sorry, apparently calls into the guild every other week to complain about the mistreatment of psychics and butlers in the industry. Um, and However, Red, he's one of the main ones, like, misusing sidekicks. He may love them inappropriately, but he does love and care for them. I, in, a, in a weirdly look, awful way. I understand, but at the same time... Um, and then it's revealed by Red Mantle and Dragoon, who... They, they reckon he would definitely kidnap them just to prove they aren't protected very well. Mm. Um, but, you know, they look at the image that they have on record of Captain Sunshine... And, like, he should be way older. Like, he, do- he doesn't age properly. And they've got this photo of him with Wonderboy and Desmond, which was the Alfred guy. Yeah. Who, at this, up until now, who's appeared in this podcast right? I didn't write down his name. He's Desmond. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, the twist is revealed that I already spoiled when we covered the Captain Sunshine episode, is that um, they age out. Because the Red Mandel and Dragoon are looking at the image, and they're like, no, not that Captain Sunshine, that one. And they're pointing at the, at the butler in the background of the picture. Yeah. Yeah, as we've mentioned already, there is a cycle there. And I think that's a very unique take on the Batman-Robin-Alfred setup. Mm-hmm. I like that one. Although, Dick Grayson has been Batman, and Bruce was kind of... He was more Oracle than Alfred in Batman Beyond, but they've never done it that hard. And I think that makes it a very unique version. I can't think of any, like, Batman parody that does the that age progression system like that. Well, I mean, the current movies are doing it without realising. How so? Well, Nanny's Alfred was really old. Oh, you're de-aging Alfred. He's not getting a better role. He's just not old anymore. But they did that with Aunt May, too. Exactly. That's, I'm, I'm, that's where I'm coming from here. They're doing it without realizing they're doing it, but every every time there's less wrinkles and less gray hair. You're just waiting for that last jump, where Alfred's just also Batman. Robert Pattinson, the only star of Batman. Yeah, he's Batman. He's also he's Robin. Alfred. He's Alfred. He's Catwoman. Oh no, he is the Penguin. Yep. So plot line number three of this episode is where the henchmen and sidekicks currently are in a gladiator battle. I think it's a horse track somewhere, but, you know, whatever. We see Henchman 21 supposedly kill Robot Ghost. You remember him? Condom Head. Yeah, Condom Head. Um, we see that no one is sure who the sidekick is between Billy Quizboy and Pete White. Yeah. Um, so they, they both get kidnapped. Just as, like, a shrug. I don't know. I'll take both of them. I'm going to say Pete is the... Uh... 
I think he's a sidekick who he doesn't do anything, but he's also like the louder, taller, bigger one. Whereas Quizboy is a pretty like um unimposing kind of character. Mm. He has a personality of a sidekick, but he's also the one doing everything. But yeah, I, I like that they have are like constantly bickering through this torturous situation, being like, "You're the fucking psychic." It's like, "No, you are my sidekick. You are my assistant." Like in writing, it's like, "Fuck you, I'm the boss." I'm in charge of money. That makes me in charge. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So they both get taken. Quizboy seems very traumatized after listening to an eight-year-old die. So I'm sure he's doing okay. Uh. Working, those two are working with Shoreleave, 21, and Desmond. The five of them plan an uprising. This whole time, the announcer at the battle seems to be, has been a guy named Zero. And 21 figures out that it is actually henchman number one. Do you remember him? Yes. The really he, competent one that yeah, they're just yeah. picking on the whole time? Well, he, we know he's going to die. Yeah. Because he's good at his job. I like that they let that they sit on that joke and let it pay off during like the hour special on Gargantua. Yeah, <laughs> he makes it that far. Yeah, um, he tricked Sunshine into gathering the sidekicks and henchmen for and for some reason Trucules. Um, you know, and once they, we know he's an arch, like he's not a sidekick, <laughs> but that's fine. Um, I think he's just a fun cameo in the background. And yeah, he's got them all fighting to the death. Um. And as he explains this to 21 and Shoreleaf, conjectural technologies jailbreak the other prisoners and they rush hence from number one, leaving his fate unknown. Uh, the episode wraps up with the OSI and Guild panel ending because the problem solved itself. Yeah. Obviously with the uprising. And everyone is happy, except US Steel, who can't find Ghost Robot in the crowd of survivors. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a shame. He's my favourite of that group, of that weird fake Justice League. Just because he's a funny image. I also like that they were going to call US Steel um, Uncle Slam. But was, that's already taken. Yeah, an actual wrestler already had that name, and they were like, fuck. <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty good name. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, the next two episodes are kind of like a two-parter. It's it, One is a Hank episode, and the other is a Dean episode, and they take place at the same time with the same after-credits ending scene. Yeah. Um, kind of reminds me of the meteor shower really early on in South Park, which I think was three simultaneous episodes. But yeah, um, first up is Everybody's Coming to Hanks. This is the Detective Noir one. Yes. Um, Because the boys have very, like, distinctive personalities and stuff. And what's something Hank does when he puts on any sort of outfit or accessory? Accents. Yeah, he sings so hard into his identities. And in this one, he has a fedora. Um, and a whip. Um, it, he says it comes with the hat, so he's clearly just got an Indiana Jones costume. Yeah. Which, which is a joke from Always Sunny in Philadelphia as well. The detective whip. It's a joke in most things. I know, it's such a dumb Have you seen the um the trailer for Chip and Dale yet? No. Well, at one point, they have to get disguises at some like convention, and... The one in the jacket, mm. the rescue ranger in the jacket, runs through like a like a box of clothes, pops out the other side in the exact same outfit, and he goes, what the hell? And he turns around to Indiana Jones booth. Nice. You like that? <laughs> thought you would appreciate it. Um, yep, so it starts with Dean going to New York for an internship, because he's a college boy, and Hank has to find a job on, you know, on his own. Um, and when... Because he didn't graduate, yeah. apparently. 
When Doc comes home, he finds Hank has opened a department store in the garage. He is selling Doc's stuff and running a notary and detective agency as well. The detective one is where the episode goes, as Dermot's mum isn't answering her phone and needs to pick him up. Yeah. Okay. So Hank begins the missing person case. Once he puts on his detective's hat, the episode switches to grainy black and white, which, you know, it's, it's got a nice idiots pretending to be Philip Marlowe vibe to it. Because, of course, it fucking does. Um, the Alchemist, you like him. Yeah, he's okay. He's fun. He's staying at Orpheus's place at the moment and is super bored. Because Orpheus is a little bit of an uptight, boring fella. Really? So, I wouldn't have gathered that. So he just kind of, like, wanders in. He's like, what's going on here? He's, like, solving the case of Dermot's mom. And he's like, didn't you pick him up, like, hours ago? And he's like, yeah, but he thinks Brock's his dad. And I'm going to investigate that now instead. And I was like... Yeah, fuck it. All right, I'm in. <laughs> I'm his girl Friday, he quotes. Yeah, so um, they talk to Nikki, who's Dermot's sister. Um, she came to pick him up, you know, because the mum hadn't, but obviously, like, she came around later, and she was like, I wish you'd fucking told me before I showed up. Hank has this weird flirt going on with Nikki, um, but yeah, after she leaves, Al's kind of like, yeah, I- I'm invested in this weird thing you got going on um so they next stop they have is they go to brock about this mystery mother mm-hmm. and um he has not slept with her no one has seemed to which is interesting the alchemists can tell lies like he can sense them kind of like stark does and everyone is you know correct in what they're saying so they go back to dermot to question him about it he's mostly surprised they're still following this lead without him and shows them a venture compound key that his mother gave him. She said it uh, used to be his dad's. Which actually is a good way to write a plot hole out of this. Yeah. Because it stopped, It explains how Dermot just fucking shows up constantly without getting, like, destroyed by, like, turrets on the front lawn. Have, have you read what they serve at Hank's Cafe? So the detectives are sitting at the hash house that Hatred is running instead of the shitty Hank's Co. Cafe. Um... The menu is in our big. Uh, I'm, what is I'm it? What sorry. would we call it? It's a. It's a. It's not a walkthrough compendium. book. Mm, compendium. That's the word. I'm. I'm sorry. I haven't. I have to admit. I've only been paying mostly attention because. Because you've been lost in this fucking menu. Because this is Hank, and you know I, what he's capable of. I understand of. that, and like the pop tart. The best part of the tart served over the not-so-good part. So what they do is they shave the top part with the icing and they serve it on a bed of the crumbled-up bottom half. Understandable. It's a weird way to eat it. Bread balls. Have you never done that? by hand-rolling white bread into little balls and end by serving them to you. You've never made a bread ball? You watched them do that on Babbage. That's a professional cooking show, by the way. Dragon. Yep, go. A packet of powdered pudding mm-hmm. is dusted lightly over the lightly toasted white bread. Yep. I will admit, for a dollar... I'm pretty sure we watched Al Bundy eat something very similar to that once. Tang sandwich, I think it was. The Cyclops sandwich. Mm. A tomato sandwich served on a bagel with a grape in the middle. Yeah. As someone with bagels in the fridge. It's just a slice of tomato. 
Batter up. Warm cake batter served in a collectible Hank Co. cup. <laughs> Try something from our extensive collection of flavoured waters. I think they just have red in the episode. Cheese plate. American cheese sliced the way you like. However you like it sliced. $4. I love how dumb and immature this menu is. It's something you make when you're, like, four. I'm completely disgusted by the Wondrous Wheel. Which one's that one? Four chocolate cookies filled with white, sweet, creamy stuff. That's just four Oreos. That's just Oreos on a plate. And only because it's the last one left. Mm. The Corn Chip Mountain is a quarter pound of corn chips... Splattered with hot American cheese. It's nachos. I ate a Costco hot dog this year. It's so drippy. I would prefer it over going to Hank's Cafe. Fair enough. Um, well, I don't know they wash their hands for the bread balls. Well, after, um, after Hank sort of wanders off to do his detective stuff, there's no more menu, but... but um, Sergeant Hatred is running it as a hash house, and he's like, we just serve eggs. Fried, scrambled, poached, just eggs, and ketchup. I don't like ketchup with my eggs. No. I'm a barbecue sauce person. And while they are there, uh, Quiz Boy has been waiting for them just eating eggs for hours. He's not really pleased about it. Um, That would do, like, horrible things (laughs) to your intestines. Well, he's been sitting there to give them a lead. So he knows Nikki, the sister. Um, she has a vast collection of stuff from the Rusty Venture show. Like, she knows a lot about their history and may know where the key comes from. You know? So the duo split up with this news. Al goes back to Orpheus for advice on the case, while Hank goes to ask Nikki about her venture knowledge. At the trailer Dermot's family lives in, Hank talks to Nikki. Um, the other two are working late. They flirt some more. And she says she loves the Rusty from the cartoon, not the weird dorky guy who is the actual dad. And Hank reminds her of that, you know, glorified version. And they hook up. Yeah, boy. Thoughts? Yeah, boy. Mm-hmm. So while Hank is losing his virginity, Al is talking to Orpheus. He explains so far that everyone is telling the truth and it's not adding up. No one seems to be Dermot's father at this point. Hmm. So they take the key Dermot had and use some magic to reveal its secrets. Um, they see Nikki, pregnant and 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, she She's told Rusty that she was 20 at the time. So, and, you know, she was also the president of his fan club, so an easy lay. Mm-hmm. And to his credit, he tries to do right by her, but her mother steps in and sends him away. He's never going to see her again. And he will pay her blackmail money to hide the statutory secret. Mm. And she will raise the baby as her own. So there you go. Dermot is Nikki's teen pregnancy, results, and half a venture. Mm. What do you think about that? I mean, I prefer it to him being Brock's. <laughs> is there a respect thing about it? I just like Brock. Yeah. It's hey, like hey. Kind of rusty. I feel like... It's an it's an ugly scene for him, like for Rusty. But 
He's never done anything good in his life before now. I don't, Why is this if she, like, if she genuinely told him she was 20, yeah. And he does... He gives her the key so they can work things out and, like, do right by her. But the mum's the one who kind of sends him away for being, you know, a disgusting monster. I'm on the mum's side here. I guess. I feel like they could have written it a lot worse. Yes. You know what I mean? It would be hard to watch... I don't know. He's kind of yes. an awful monster anyway, and that's kind of the premise, but you know. You know what I mean. Mm. So after this horrible revelation, Al goes to see Hank, tells him he doesn't want anything to the case anymore, he's out. And Hank agrees. He's not interested anymore because he got to have sex. While telling Al, without realising he Eskimo brothered his own dad, um, he touches the key and the residual magic reveals it to him as well. <laughs> he doesn't like the news involvements. So the two of them go to Sphinx to get their memory wipes. But before going, Hank leaves a video for himself to let him know he had sex without adding much more detail than that. And after that, we share the ending with the next episode, which is the Dean part, Bright Lights, Dean City. Do you like this episode? Would you? Could you? With a fish? Would you, could you, in a dish? Okay. What was your actual question? Bright Lights, Dean City, let's go. How do you feel about the detective episode? Um, that tried something. I like it, and it for the most part, it's pretty good. It's it's a it's a fun little adventure, but at the same time, it's weird because now we know the secret of Dermot, but everyone who knew it in canon has now been mind wiped, and yeah, people don't work that out until a special like in between this season and next season. Yeah, which we will cover when we do next season for the sake of time. Um, so, Bright Lights, Dean City. This episode opens with a phantom limb narration. Alright. Well, we're he, in the city. He shows, we, we see Jonas D- Jr. is working on Gargantua 2. Again, big setup for way later. Um, and his spacesuit fails. Girl Hitler addresses the UN when her microphone shorts out and kills her. Monarch loses all his money. Dr. Mrs. the Monarch is killed by Tim, Tom, and Kevin, who are sleeper agents for Phantom Limb, and they frame the murder on 21, who was killed by Monarch in revenge. Mm. Meanwhile, the council is picked off one by one, and Sovereign kills himself before they get to him too. These are all plans for the new revenge society. Um, it's all just empty plans and hypotheticals, but let's note, one, that Gargantua 2 is currently under development, so we're on our way to that. Yeah. And... Th- and the fact that Sheila got the Moppets when she was being brought to the guild by Phantom Limb, um, and they might still be serving him in the background all along. I mean, it's such a good... It's a subtle thing. Yeah. Because in my head, like, I've watched this through maybe half a dozen times from start to finish, and I've watched bits and pieces depending on where the stream is on the Adult Swim website. Yeah. And because it's a in a hypothetical, like, list of shit, I don't... I sort of dismissed it. But no, they would already have to have been established as sleeper agents for Phantom Limb for that plan to even exist. Yeah. And knowing him, it's very believable. Yeah. Just add it to the list of reasons to hate the fucking Moppets, huh? Just put it into the pile with everything else. Oh, it's such a well... It's sneaky. Yeah. It's a subtle little thing, because... You're taking note of all of this, and then he's like, these are all ideas we could have, and you're like, oh, it's nothing. Yeah. But, yeah. But of course they would, like, go ahead with something like that. Yeah. 
Like, it makes perfect sense. Anyway, so the cold open. It, it ends when the intern brings Dr. Impossible his coffee. Dean Venture. Um, we follow Dean's little life in the... Who's big- your favourite? Out of the two? Mm. Which one do you think? The jock one or the one that's emo after this season? Who has a lot of identity problems living in the shadow I of their father the constantly. Answer. I'm asking for the podcast. I think most of Venture fans would be Hank people. Just because he's the dorkier of the two. <laughs> and this is a very fucking ingrained in dork culture show. Yeah. Which one do you like best? Out of all the women, most of which <laughs> voiced by men, who do you relate to the most? Oh, you know I'm totally a Molotov. Yeah. Sometimes around and mean. <laughs> yep, pretty yeah. much. Rest uh, of the time I'm at work dealing with not very nice people. Just works with assassins. You, you kind of you kind of still on the mark there. Um. Yep. Yeah, so he's been his job is a assistant at Impossible Industries as massive walkouts you know empty its halls, which I assume is people not wanting to work in a villain company, but I'm not totally sure. Um. We also. F- we also see his shitty little apartment down next to the train line. Um, Doc shows up there, too, after getting hooked on Broadway and deciding to write a musical about his life, which is a good um, follow-through because when he's dropping... When he, when he leaves Hank in the previous episode to drop off Dean, he also has, like, tickets to see some shit in New York while he's there. Yeah. So he comes back here and he's like, this is the thing I'm into now. Yeah. So he tries to get Dean to photocopy his musical script at um, Impossible Plaza, which I think is a cool name. But when the Revenge Society spots Rusty Venture poking around the building, they start to worry. Um, which makes sense. Yeah. Phantom Limb says they should target him, listing how he ruined their lives, which I like because none of which were really his fault. Like Limb failing at Cremation Creek. The escape pod that hit his ship. Had had um, Doc in it, but it was driven by Monarch. Yeah. You know? Um, the Underbite Rebellion that lost him his country. That was Girl Hitler and the Re- and the Rebels, remember? They were... That was mostly their adventure. And um, stealing away Doctor Impossible's ex-wife, which I think she just... Sally just didn't like him. No, Sally hates him. She would have fucked anybody. Yep. She's dating Jonas Jr. currently. Yep. You know what I mean? I do like the way Phantom Limb describes it as, like, he... He took your wife from you and then sloppy seconded her off to his brother. Which is a horrible way of saying it. Um, yeah, so they try to assassinate him in a taxi cab, but they fuck it up. But it doesn't matter because he is rescued by one of the Venture New York crowd, Brown Widow. Played by Nathan Fillion. How do you feel about him? Oh, I like Nathan Fillion. His character is so... Disgusting. Yeah, everything that you, every gross joke you can make about Spider Man, about like the web hole should be coming out of his butt, or the fact that he should have eight eyes, is played. Yeah. But He's like, usually wearing the sweatband, but those few frames when you do see the eyes under his bangs is like really upsetting. I hate it. It's a gross image. But that said, like, mm. I think it's great that Nathan Fillion plays that role. Well, he was a fan of for the adventure re- show. Well, for the reasoning of, he's always seen as like, a somewhat attractive actor. Like, he's in heaps of sci-fi. Mm. 
He's the Firefly dude. He's the he's dog in that Buffy. one episode of Big Mouth. They're getting a spin-off show. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how to feel about it. Um, but, like, he's always kind of that attractive, along the same lines of Indiana Jones and stuff. Mm. He's played very so much as a fucking play... dweeb in this, huh? Yeah, like... Like, those, it's not in this season, but when Dean actually goes to college in New York, and you see him getting picked on by, like, jocks and stuff, it's very cool. Yeah. That's, um, like, the contrast to, yeah. like... Who I like his usually... suit, too. I know, it's, I know it's all, like, beige and brown and shit, but I do, like... like it's, it's done pretty cool. I don't mind it. Yeah. Um... While that's going on, Dean learns Impossible is working with Phantom Limb and Underbite. You know, the, the baddies. Um, but he's told, <laughs> his, the explanation is, those guys are hard done by it, and Impossible Industries is trying to give them a fresh start, so they're secretly working here. So Dean helps when a bunch of villains do tryouts for the Revenge Society. Um, do you have any favourites in the group that you see? Lightfrog. Or Brickfrog. 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 I do like Brickfrog. It's so dumb. It, it just there's nothing to it, which like is kind of little, fun. I do like the picture. I don't know if it's public or the other one, but the little photo of them standing out in the front of the White House. I know you don't know what that fence is, but that's the White House. It'll that'll be Jackson Public because his little quotation mark is it's labeled. No, because there's one down here too. I'm sure all that. I can't read it from here, but one of the creators did have a very nice frog helmet. Yeah. And it's and it cameos in Brick Frog, a character who dresses as a frog and hauls bricks at things. Which is like all things I like. It's very chaotic. Um Yeah, we meet some new friends because a lot of this bit was like to flesh out some more crowd shots later because pretty much every goofy background character at this point has had like a backstory or an adventure or an arc of some sort. So they're like, alright, we need some fresh ones. You got um the Super Friends Apache Chief knockoff. Um, you have Mr. Polymil- Poly- fucking Polygamy and, like, four Mrs. Polygamies. Yeah. Uh, we get Lady Hawk and Mr. Lyndon B. Do you like their fucking stupid shit? That's such a sad story. They can only meet during the eclipse. Yeah. Um, by day, he is a bee, and by night, she is a hawk. Yes. Isn't that fun? I think it's loosely based on... Ah, uh, what's his name? Adam Strange... On the planet Ron. I do like the but fact that you wife, just keep doing But every six months has to jump back and forth planets. Karate armed at me. Like, that's gonna, like... That's me rattling my body trying to jog names loose out of it. it it's technically similar to um, William Turner and Elizabeth Swan in Paris the Caribbean. Okay. Because by the end, he's the captain of the Flying Dutchman, and he can only step foot on land once every ten years. Mm. And then they step foot on land and they consummate their relationship and then all of a sudden she's got a son. Gross. Um, yeah, we got Brickfrog. We've also got Fat Chance who actually ends up sticking around. Yeah, he's got a little um, belly button in his belly. Yeah. Um, who else we got? Oh, Scary Bear. We got Scare Bear. How do you feel about Scare Bear? I'm fine with Scare Bear, but that's because I grew up in the time of... Oh, man. What's the Japanese one? Scare Bear. I don't know. No. Um, it's the same basic premise. Scare Bear is awesome. Very ominous. Does not make a fucking sound. Plays huge later in the series. I'll leave it for now, but, like, there's some theories about the identity. Which I like that that one's left super vague. 
In a show this dense, it still has room for fan theories. Um. He's a pink one. I, I don't know. So the the ones that do get picked hatch a scheme to get the vent, you know, to get Doctor Venture again. Uh, but it falls apart pretty quickly when he falls into Fat Chance. Falls into that little belly portal we mentioned. Yeah. And Dean tries to. That's it. Hmm? Oh. You got it. I've got lots and lots of pictures of it. I just don't know what it's called. Gloomy Bear. It's Gloomy Bear. Okay. It's literally a knockoff of Gloomy Bear. I don't know what that is. No, it's not. Get out of here. Hey, look, he's got the same blood patch. It's a fucking... He's just a grizzly bear where this is a nice pink teddy bear that follows you around and eats you in your sleep. It's based on some other thing. Um, While Dean's on the run, he runs into Cody. Do you remember him? The, um, The Johnny Storm... Oh yeah. Of the of the impossible group, the one who feels the horrible pain of being on fire. Um, I do like earlier when Phantom Limb learns this burning screaming man is being used to power Impossible Plaza, and he's just like to Doctor Impossible, he's just like, How we how were you not a villain before I got you? Yeah. <laughs> like you're already so gross. Anyway, all the sprinklers go off and it's just chaos, and Dean gets the hell out of there, and we get the ending from last episode extended. Um, a different dimension Rusty shows up to drop off our Rusty, telling him to get the fuck out of his dimension. Because apparently where Brick, uh, Fat Chance is getting all of his stuff from, yeah. or storing all this shit, is a reality where where um, Rusty Venture is jacked, still has his hair, and is a millionaire. Nice. Yep, so, how do you feel about those two plots together? They were originally written to be A plot, B plot, but um, they expanded real hard. It's bound to happen. It happens, yeah. Um, you ready to jump in the next episode? Assisted suicide. That's right. Originally, while the boys and Brock went into Doc Fantastic Voyage style, do you remember that episode? I think so. When they got all small and went into his brains? Yeah. Um, Orpheus would have looked around in his psyche during that episode, but the two stories got fatter and they ended up having to be separated. Again, it happens constantly with this sort of show. The episode begins with everyone kind of goofing off and playing touch football, only for Brock to sense someone touching his car. Mm-hmm. You like that he does that? Yeah. You can always tell when someone's like, when the monarchs are outside or when someone's touching his car. What he finds is Doc not talking or being dramatic or dopey like he normally is. He's trying to commit carbon monoxide suicide. Um, he takes, uh, Brock sort of drags him out of the car and they sort of do an impromptu intervention. But when Orpheus takes his hand to talk about losing his wife and daughter, he senses Doc isn't alone. Yep. He puts a binding spell on to keep the you know, the body of Doc from being controlled, and inside him we see a suddenly trapped monarch. Mm. Meanwhile, 21 and Dr. Mrs. the Monarch are keeping his body alive while the consciousness is in the venture body. Um, I don't know how to explain that better, but he's but like... That's pretty much... The only way there is to explain. I don't know how to... <laughs> it's, a good, it's, it's great. It makes sense at the time. Yeah, but Monarch is trapped in the mindscape, so Orpheus goes in to investigate. He is joined by Eros and Thanatos, hmm. uh, played by uh, Quizboy and Pete White, respectively. You know, they're the gods of love and death. And yeah, Which I've, I like as a fun callback, because they're like playing roles in this. And in that Fantastic Voyage episode when Monarch storms in, 
and sees those two instead of the boys. He's like, who the fuck are you guys? Yeah. And, and Peach is like blatantly is like, uh, the roles of Dean and Hank will be played by uh, by Pete White and and Billy Quizboy for this for this episode. Yeah. He's like, yeah, tonight we're on, we'll, we'll film we, it for we this. Didn't, we didn't have the uh, budget Yeah, they're, for, they're, uh, they're, they're busy, so we'll hang out. Um, yeah, so they start to head towards Master Control to deal with the intruder, but um, do you remember when Joker opened the cells in Arkham Asylum to slow down Batman? Yes. In the game? Uh, Monarch does that, but in the mind. Uh, mostly they are... Um, what's, the, what's the word? A lot of them are memories of his dead sons, but, like, really buried in there, locked away. So they all get released. It's a nice detail that Doc does feel guilt about that stuff, but, again, it's very deeply buried. Yeah. Do you have any favorite of the of the corpses running around in his mind? Um, I like the drowning ones because we haven't seen them before. Because a lot of these are callbacks from that um, season two uh, flashback of all the different times, all the montage. Decapitated is pretty good. Yeah, remember they're riding their hover bikes and they just get clotheslined by the clothesline? I like um, arrow through the head with uh, blown out umbrella. Mm-hmm. Um. It's not my favourite, but it does make me laugh probably the most. Um, the ones that just look normal in their pyjamas. Yeah, yeah. Because do you remember that clip in that montage where it's just the image of their beds and then, like, Doc, like, monologues. Yeah, there was a gas leak that one. <laughs> that yeah. one time it's just, like, nothing. It's not even animated. It's just an image. Yeah. So we jump back to check on the B plot. We have Sheila and 21 keeping Monarch's body alive while also covering up the fact that he is doing mind assassination from the Moppets. The fact that she is hiding this illegal move under the Guild Law from the Moppets is kind of telling about her suspicions of them. Just wanted to throw that on the board. Um, they cover up the scene by putting on sexy outfits and making it seem like a BDSM thing. Uh, cheerleader costume was another way uh, Doc Hammer and Jackson Public were playing chicken with the cosplayers. Mm. See, the creators were tired of every girl at a convention meeting, like talking to them being Dr. Girlfriend. So they threw out the Queen Etheria costume and said, your move, creep, you know, like Robocop. And they did it! Yep, so they did. Um, <laughs> so they went the other direction, gave the big floppy hat of Lady O'Pair a try. Remember that goofy fucking maid outfit? Yeah. Um, yeah, people still said, bring it on. So, and cosplayed that. They, they really don't. So, so then we get Dr. Mrs. the Monarch with the with a shirt so low cut, it's like at her belly button. Yeah. They, yeah. they don't. <laughs> you know, take into consideration the dedication of people. The lack of dignity that cosplayers have. Well, I was going to ask you what costume comes to mind as something you would be arrested for exposure if you cosplayed. Like, what's an outfit you yourself would never wear in public? I know you have a Power Girl costume. I do have a Power Girl costume. I am yet to wear it in public. That's true. Do you have any, um... Do you have any that come to mind as, like, nope? Um. Molotov's outfit? Which doesn't really have, like, a front or a back, frankly. I don't know how I would hold it up. Is I don't know how she wears it. I do like the joke that, um, in, I think it was last season, like, Mrs. the Monarch, like, slouches on a chair and her tit, like, flops out. Because she couldn't look, wear that and not, like, have to stand up real careful. I have to be straight. completely honest with you. As someone that has been to conventions multiple times, mm-hmm. I now have a thing where my costumes need pockets. Yep. So you just want to do anything that Rob Liefeld drew, huh? 
Um, I like having no gloves. It makes dealing with my phone a lot easier. A lot of gloves these days have the little felt bit. They're built. still not great. I'm, look, originally I didn't like masks because of the whole, you know, you can't do face ID, but I've gotten over that in the last couple of years for some reason. Yeah, funny that. So you don't have a, any in particular? Not that, not that I can think of, but I'm sure that you will be like, hey, do this, and I'll be like, oh, I don't Well, I only wrote down an answer for myself, which is a comic-accurate Dr. Manhattan, which is just me wearing blue, blue spray paint, paint cock out. We've <laughs> seen Silver Surfer done, though. Yeah, but he's usually, he doesn't have a exposed cock in his source material. So that guy can wear a Speedo no, he, and paint he, he that No, he just had a Speedo, yeah. Well, I'm not talking about Speedo. Do you remember that cosplay? Yeah, but it looked cool, though. It was accurate. Yeah. Look, until it, the end of the day when it started, like, flaking. you got to respect the, the dedication at that point. Respect the dedication. That's right. Anyway, on the subject of cartoon boobies, we tangent back into the other plotline as Orpheus finds the invisible harem. The Invisible Harem is a group of women one thinks they could get if they went for it. I love the, in the Go Team Venture book quote from Doc Hammer, which is, Jackson and I always liked the idea that Doc thinks of himself as a cocksmith. Never heard that term before, kind of adore it. That's, okay. Yeah, he is very inexperienced and a simple man, this Doctor Venture, you know, he's, but, you know, on this rotating bed of girls, all of which are voiced by him, doing what he thinks is dirty talk, but it's just phone sex line stereotypes. You know, yeah. We're waiting. Call now. Another one. Um, Mrs. Monarch's there. Sally. Lindsay Wagner, a sexy nurse with a headset, so I assume the sexy commercial on, the, like, the phone sex line. But she also appeared in a dirty magazine earlier, so she's a recycled character. Well, your brain cool. can only see faces it's seen before. Yeah. This area is run by the id. That's the uh, primitive part of the mind you know. That it's, it's the aggressive and sexual part. Mm. Um, and it's run by the cute boy adventurer version of Rusty. And he'll let them pass if they can do something, you know, sexual. He makes Pete and Quizboy kiss with their tongues. Next up is Ego. Uh, the middle ground between Super Ego and the id. I like this version. This Rusty is like a Geppetto type whittling away on his inventions quietly and puppets of his children. And he'll let them pass if they help rebuild this broken wooden rusty. He understands that he himself is a very broken individual and wants subconsciously to fix that. His, his poor inner child. Yeah. He just needs some more. Orpheus ends up going back and getting all the harem girls to help him so they can move on. It's like, yeah, these guys will help fix him. Yeah. Um, back at the monarch's empty body, 21 and Sheila bond over old Star Trek. Uh, turns out she likes that stuff. She cheers him up with a cheer. Um, he asks about Monarch and if she ever thinks she can do better, and she responds with the quote, "Can no, I can't. I can't do her horrible voice, obviously." But she asks, "Can you do better than a man you adore and who really needs you?" They no, talk. You they, can't. You might as well marry them. They do get married in July. Yeah. But they end up sharing a kiss. Twenty-one and Monarch. Well, girl, Monarch. How you feel about that? Well, we'll find out later that that's not, like... A big deal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, back inside Rusty, we meet the superego. Your moral conscious. Or his moral conscious, I guess. Um, he has a handsome face atop the late Jonas Venture body, like he's the big... big you know how you know how Shazam becomes, like, the big best version? Yeah, it's that. It's like a Shazam Rusty. 
Um, and there's no test with him because because he's the perfect version of himself. He's just happy to help out heroes. Yeah. Which is cool. Um, so they go to Master Control, but the doors are locked. But they have a plan to flush, you know, to run through the vents. Mm. They flush the monarch out via trauma. Yay! Um, they fill up the vents and ducts leading into the Master Control with the dead boy clones, which make which makes Monarch wake up like it's a fucking nightmare. Um, yeah, a small side story is Dean getting fire ants on his ass, but there you go, fun adventure. Definitely wouldn't fit in as a side story for that other episode. Um, do you have a... F- yeah, I asked about the corpses, I think that's good. Um, the after credits moment is nice too. Hank goes to check on his dad after all this, Yeah, which is nice of him, and, and worried he would have gone crazy or something. But his pop tells him a story. It was his 16th birthday, having a pool party. He has no friends there, but his dad invites every woman he can. Playboy bunnies, models, some escorts. Um, then the music stops and young Rusty is announced. Uh, a drunken colonel gentleman pants him. And the action man, also drunk, uses a shrink ray to give him a tiny dingus. That's mean. He is saying a little mental breakdown doesn't mean shit when your whole life is just a fucking horrible mess. So he's fine, I guess. I don't think that's how that works, but... Ladies and gentlemen, seek help. What he's trying to say is having a little bit of added trauma is nothing because there's so much already. <laughs> he's, I, he's, a, I he's a sad fellow. Alright. Well, don't clone your kids so many times. Just be a good... <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Be a good parent the first time. Yeah, maybe don't neglect too hard. Um... That leaves us with two more episodes, huh? The penultimate episode of the season is uh, Silent Partners. It cold opens with Quizboy working in a hospital until another doctor wants to help iron out some issues with his credentials. Mm-hmm. While hiding, because he is not a fucking doctor, yeah. <laughs> Billy Quizboy discovers the investors. Some of the shadiest and biggest threats in the series, I feel. I'm always very... Oh, I like those ones. Um, without making a sound, they phase into the room and leave with King Gorilla's heart. As you do. This is scary enough on its own for Quizboy, but it doesn't end there, because not only does he think they are vampires, they're the ones that organised his big payout at the start of this season. Mm. Do you remember how they did like an insurance scam? It was with these people. So he's fucked. So that night, he's panicking. Well, Pete White is not really buying into it. You know, we have seen a robot alien, we've seen a radioactive ghost, we have, we literally have a black blackula hunter in the order of the triad, but you know, he he's, finds the vampires pretty unlikely, which is amazing to me. A blackula and a vampire are very different things. I know, but like... Like one is real and one's not. Yeah, but it, puts, it definitely puts them on the radar, don't you think? No. Everyone knows vampires are made up. Alright, well... They do show up anyway to take Quizboy in the night, causing White to go to Sphinx for help. At first, they aren't interested either. Sphinx. Yeah, giving their rules for staying out of the hero villain stuff and saving themselves for the almost villains, you know? Thing is, when they realise he means the investors, they are taking the case and tracking them down. They're sort of beyond the guild's control, making them a big, ominous target indeed. Anyway, this breaks the episode into three bits. You know, you got Sphinx hunting the investors and along the way also hunting Monstroso when learning the connection there. Um, we've also got Billy and Monstroso's involvement. And thirdly, Pete having to stay in the Venture Compound's panic room with hatred the whole time. Yeah. There's not much to that arc. There you go. That's, that's 
basically. I do like that Hatred calls him out for being a starfucker, though. Yeah. Like, blatantly. He's, he's like, it's a shame. Don't, don't worry, we'll save your best friend. He's like, Quizboy's on my best friend, like, Venture is. And he's like, you just like Venture because he's famous. You're fucking just a bitch. Yeah. Which is good for Hatred, calling it like he sees it. He's normally a scumbag, but I do like when he calls people out for, I don't know, doing the same shit. Yeah. So following the clues left... I think it, can- it makes it worse, though, because that means that he understands that he does it. I don't know. He's, he, he's genuinely trying to be a better dude. Like, he takes his weird drugs to keep him from being a villain. Is the best way to say it. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. He, he's a complicated fella. Yep, so there's some clues left to Conjectural Technologies trailer. Um, Sphinx learns that they will need a boat to track this case, so they go to Spider Skull Island. But Jonas Jr. is away building Gargantua 2. Mm-hmm. Isn't that fun? But he left the pirate captain in charge, so we, for some reason, get the triumphant return of the captain ship. How do you feel about it? I like that he doesn't have a name. Yeah. He's pirate captain. <laughs> That's it. Um... Yeah, meanwhile, Billy learns he was taken by the investors on behalf of Monstroso. Uh, he learns that Monstroso is dying. And is it raining? I don't think so. I think it's the air conditioner. Okay. Yeah, they spend the day together doing things he always wanted to try, because he will not survive much longer, depending on Billy's call later on. Isn't that ominous? It's funny seeing them interact, though, because, like, Billy's the smallest guy, and Monstroso is, like, monstrous, obviously. So he's, like... The length of his bicep. Yeah. Um, one thing Billy does request before the thing goes down later, him thinking that means becoming a vampire, is that he doesn't want to die a virgin. So that night he is approached by three women. Billy still thinks oh. they are vampires, and how, yeah, and how they handle his demand to not be a virgin anymore doesn't really help. Um, he thinks those women are Dracula brides, which, after reading the Bram Stoker collection of different journal entries, kind of come off as better adversaries than the strange European Jewish stereotype. Also, Dr. Stewart is better than Dr. Helsing, there I said it. Anyway, Sphinx accidentally sets off Quizboy's robot hands fire extinguisher um, instead of its tracking system, so you got a nice little premature ejaculation joke there, that's good. Um, I will spoil it and tell you now they were sex workers and not real vampires. Um, just going with his comments, you know, echo chambering his concerns. Because he's like, oh no, you're vampires, and they just roleplay it. They're like, yeah, sure, we are. And he's like, oh no. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, they think they're doing the right thing, and he's like, no. It's just making him more upset. Uh, I do like the quote being, saying, like, yeah, they were prostitutes. They would have been Charlie's Angels if you'd asked. Yeah. <laughs> so Quizboy ends up signing the papers, expecting to become a vampire, but learns he is getting a diploma to be a real doctor. Yay! Um, I'm a real boy. Yeah, so the investors always have a deal going. Yeah. All right. King, well, they're investors. King Gorilla's deal was he would re- spend his remaining years out of that life sentence. But once his time was getting close to that end, they would take his heart for a different deal that they had with Monstrosa. Yeah. Um, they, took, they gave Billy that money and the diploma to have him... Do the operation, because whether he's licensed or not, he's probably the best surgeon in canon. Especially for... Like, how often have we seen him kidnapped in order to do free surgery because he's the best? Oh, yeah. Like, it's his deal. 
But, like, especially when you're using a gorilla heart in a giant dude. Well, it needs to be a big gorilla one. Yeah. To fit in his big-ass body. Back of the Sphinx arc of the episode, you know, they're tracking, they're zooming in on Billy's hand. Brock and Shaw leave, can locate and infiltrate the ship Monstroso is hanging out on. Do you like the design of it? Yeah, it's cool. It's, it's a big spider thing. Yeah. It's like a yacht, but on, like, held up by four smaller yachts. Um, where did my notes go? There you go. Um, yep, yeah, so they get in, they kill a bunch of goons, but the investors escape because they're, you know, ethereal. They just kind of, like, float out of the ship. They do as they please. They're very creepy. And I fucking love OS I Love You later. I, 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 I like their arc as, like, a really hard-to-deal-with threat. Yeah. Um, Billy and Quizboy... I'm sorry, Brock and Quizboy have a chat about their duties. Because Brock finds him doing the operation. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he's there to kill Monstroso. But Quizboy wants to follow his Hippocratic Oath, you know? And Brock respects that and lets him finish the surgery and will kill Monstroso once he has recovered. He will wish he had killed him sooner, though, um, as we find in the next episode, Operation Prom. Yeah. Um, I left it somewhere in my notes, but I will say the robo-bow sucks. So it's, it's a dumb joke, and because it's a slow-moving robot, it just makes it so much more grating. Yeah. Um... While short noting the episode as we watched it, I realised that um, Operation Prom is a breakup episode. It's a big shake-up on every front, um, and there wasn't another season greenlit at the time, so it was kind of the breakup episode for the creators too. They wanted to resolve some things, change some things, but still let everyone end okay in case they didn't get another one. Yeah. Originally, like, the crunch of having to write it all and create everything themselves it was like bumming Getting them out home, yeah. but like they were sitting down chatting towards the end of this script like just hanging out like on the off day and they started making the spanakopita joke and thinking about like how that would play out yeah. and they inter- and they ended up like coming up with like five or six ideas for the next season and they were like fucking all right <laughs> they ended up talking themselves back into it again which is cute but again, like we say, if you do something with passion, then yeah, like it's gonna happen. They were a bit exhausted, but it's still passion's still there. Kai, what did you think of it for a pseudo ending? Like, if this had been it, how would you have felt? That's not bad. It doesn't like. Oh, I suppose it does kind of end. It it ends a lot of arcs. Yeah. In weird ways. Like it, it gets. I'll get to it I, as I, we talk I, about I the episode, thinking, but like, like grieving twenty four, Sphinx. Molotov? I'm, I'm more thinking of I'm in the best case of all of my stuff gets cancelled. And yeah. so I was like, if it got cancelled at this point, would I be content enough as a viewer that I'm like, yeah, alright. I think so. But it doesn't really, like... But I'd still be better. The, the problem with it, Venture We're in the situation Bros, we're in now. The problem with Venture Bros is that it never really ends. Well, we don't know because... We have the same issue now where it had a kind of ending, but not really. Yeah. And now we're waiting on the special. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this episode's pretty tightly packed. There's a big surprise there, right? But it begins with Doc assigning roles for his friends, one of which being Sergeant Hatred, who finally has the V tattoo on his face. Mm. I, I could have 
sworn that it should have happened by now. You know, like he's been working with him it for like a year. It didn't change the deep because it's in a very uh, sensitive place. Plus the joke, he had hatred written down him and the D's his D. I know. That's why I made the joke. Do you reckon his penis was like hanging out the middle of the yeah. D? Yeah. You feel that too, right? Yeah. You're, you're a smart cookie. So while, yeah, they're getting the hanger ready he's, for he's got a, homeschool um, Prince prom. Albert, so that that's the like stroke of the D. Wait, wait, wait. So you think that he's tattered the D solid red, but then he just has like a semicircle next to it? His bonus would ruin the... Oh, man. You're, you're hard work. Um, I wouldn't put it past him to have that. No. Well, I prefer it coming through the middle. That's not very sensitive. No. I mean, unless they come to a point in his pooch. They'd have to, man. But where else is he going to put his keys? So while they're setting up for homeschool prom, we've got Sphinx returning Monstroso to OSI, or so it would seem. That's right. They have a decoy body, while the actual unconscious body is back at the Venture Compound. Um, Hunter wants to go ahead to the OSI helicarrier to negotiate with General Trister before they, you know, before they hand over the guy willingly. The two operatives missing from this mission are Brock, who is driving the limo for prom, and Shawleave, who is hanging back to protect the Sphinx headquarters, mm-hmm. which leads to a pissing contest between him and Sergeant Hatred, because they are trying to shoot 21. Who is trying to bury 24's skull. Yeah. 21 has snuck back into the Venture Compound for some closure. He is having his part of the breakup episode with 24 in a way, burying the skull where he died to try and move past talking to him. Um, he gets shot at by Hatred and Shawleave. Shawleave, being the better gunsmith, ends up knocking him out, shooting him in the chest. You know, he's... Blanks. Or with those little bean bags from Jackass. Yeah. Yeah, that's when... That's what Shawleave is up to. So we will jump across to see Brock, who's driving Hank and Dean to pick up their dates. Dean has a bit of a pity date with Triana. Um, they're going as friends because she is dating a guy named Raven. It's just James Dean, post-accident. Is he? Because I'm confident he was designed to look like Edward Cullen. Which might just be the lips and the hair. I think it's just the lips and the hair. Maybe it's a bit of both. Yeah, anyway, he's got crutches. Yeah. It's very Elvis Presley. Yeah, I can see that too. But if his legs weren't just doing the wavy, wavy thing. Yeah. So Dean doesn't take that well. No. Because he's a little heartbroken. Yeah, and he's very emotionally immature because they were raised by... Beds from the fucking 50s. Yeah. Um, Hank's date, well, that he, he went with a woman who visits him all the time, slightly older, the male woman. Yeah. He has misunderstood what a male Close woman's duty is. Yep. She doesn't like him and tells him to piss off, um, so he ends up inviting Dermot instead. As you do. Yeah, and take his buddy. While that's happening, Triana is gossiping about Kim, a fan favourite the writers were sick of being asked about. As punishment, she became a preppy... Um, and is currently in a Florida rehab, so stop fucking asking. Yeah. I like that they put that in. There's so many other characters, and they were just getting pressured for this one kind of goth babe. And they were like, you know what? Fuck her. No more goth. Rehab. That's your punishment. Um, I mean, they're the creators. They can do as they please. They are, they are all powerful. Hank also invites 21 and Shawleave, who were at the front killing Monstroso soldiers on a little Sphinx adventure. 21 getting to be a little member this episode. I feel like this is where he, like, he started to grow. This is where he actually, like, takes flight. 
A little bit, yeah, because he's like... This is the first time he gets out of Monarchs. Well, yeah, he's in the Sphinx uniform, but he's also like with the good guys who are all kind of buzzed on the fruit on the punch. Yeah. And everyone's jovial and happy. He says that later in the episode. He's like, I like these guys. Yeah. While Doc and Quizboy are ordering dates via an escort service, of course, um, we will check in on Hunter Gathers and General Trister. Oh, see, obviously OSI want Monstroso because he isn't a rogue evil scientist. He's very deep in the guild. He's as far from Sphinx jurisdiction as possible. Um... Shit, he's literally the guild's lawyer. Um, so, they're having a wrestle. They negotiate, handing him over. Hunter wants clemency for his men, because if you recall, joining Sphinx makes you a fucking terrorist in the eyes of OSI. Hmm. Um, and he'll hand over Monstroso for that, you know, that, um, what's his name? Yeah, he, he wants their record expunged. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Um... And in return, yeah, he'll hand over Monstroso and a list of OSI moles he's managed to track down over the course of their career. Um, the scene cuts away when Trister begins to have, like, a heart attack or something, and uh, Mr. Doe and Mr. Cardholder come in thinking Hunter did something. Yeah. Um, when we come back to... I'm, I'm jumping around a little bit. We come back to this scene. Um, Hunter wakes up in a busted-up room and finds Trister sealed in expanding foam. He reveals he is a Hulk. Mm. You liked his delivery of that line, I am a Hulk. Yeah. It's not the, he's just, he's just got Hulkism. I am a Hulk. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds so goofy, but it pays off really great later on. I love I love Trista as a character. He's such a big, pompous dingus, but he's... America. Yeah, but he somehow, like, pays it off pretty well all, all the time. It's good. Um... See, he later in the episode explains that he has cancer and was being treated with gamma radiation therapy. PP cancer. Yeah. The Doctor seems to be sarcastically humoring his Hulk theory, and so do Cardholder and Doe. See, those scumbags are trying to make Trista look crazy because they are next in line of control of OSI. They too are traitors. Yeah. Undercover. It's a good use of those weirdos, because they're, they're based on, like, the men in black theories, not the movie. Yeah. Which we covered in our Men in Black episode. Don't go looking for yeah, it. It doesn't go. exist. That, that's classified information, soldier. And I can't turn on my laptop, so it might be, really doesn't exist. Oh, no. So, um... Yeah, meanwhile, Monarch and Dr. Mrs. the Monarch are infiltrating the Venture Compound, so let's cut back to there. Kai, what did you think about the prom itself? Um... I liked that we could work out the music... Like, the royalty-free versions of the music that's playing. Yeah. Like, there were a few times I went back and re-listened for my notes. I had it on in the background. I was like, oh, yeah, I know. It's, it's all, like, Blue Monday. What was the other one I heard? Yeah, there's a, there's, it's, like, clear as day what they were trying to be. Oh, yeah. It's very fun. But that's the thing, because it's, like, ambient mu- music. They don't have to pay for it. Yeah. But you listening to it think of the other song. Yeah. You know what they're implying. It's not as abrasive as the title credits to Married with Children. That is fucking so copies. shit. I'm so tempted to throw a box set out and get the updated one that could afford the fucking theme song the whole time. It's ridiculously annoying. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to tangent. How do you feel about the prom? You like the ice sculpture? You, you like the little... It's just in there, like, Considering garage. Considering that none of them probably went to prom. Because, like, we know Rusty was trained by the beds as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, he literally like recorded over his name for their beds. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, it's 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 cutely bad. They they tried. Yeah. And that's more than we expected from them. Yeah. Um all right, so we've got we've got the um monarch section of it. Service Abandonment Guild Non-Assail Pact of 1958, paragraph 20, line 17, regarding employers' rights to a deserter. You like that? Mm, good right. work. Monarch and Sheila have the rights to a deserter, meaning 21, who is currently in there in his Sphinx uniform now. But they don't know that yet. They think they know he's, he's setting up a backdoor entry thing. Well, that's how they have grounds to show up to this thing. They're looking for their deserter. You know, their bargaining ship to get past hatred is Princess Tiny Feet. Who has um, hogtied and ball gagged herself? Apparently, she's a she's an odd goose. She's a bit freaky. Apparently, look, we've heard about her getting BDSM'd in other episodes. <laughs> she's she's interesting. She doesn't have any speaking rules. Um, hatred makes them dress formal for the prom, at least, which I appreciated. Um, did you like their? You outfits? look about size venture. Yeah, you, what are you a size doc? Which is yeah. funny because if you look, he's wearing the suit, the blue suit. That Doc wore to the Monarch wedding. Mm. <laughs> He's wearing that that suit. Um, yeah, do you like Sheila's little outfit? Yeah, she. Just I don't think she just had around. one on hand. Of course she does. <laughs> she's great. She's a, she's a real woman. Yeah. So um, we then hear Jacket, which is the Shallow Gravy song, which I thought was lame until I realised that Girls in Bikinis by Poppy is the same fucking thing. Mm-hmm. By which I mean they're just listing types of jackets. Yeah, you know the one. Um, so what else is packed into this event? Uh, event? Dean and Triana have a friendship breakup. Um, he's very jealous about that um, that fella, Raven. Um, 21 has a breakup with 24. He finally moves on, crying into the arms of Jefferson Twilight, Dr. Orpheus, and a random prostitute. I like that he snaps out of it the way he does. Yeah. Because um, he sees the vision of 24 and like a ghost with him. A lot of times always just a random guy. But the thing is, is that the ghost at this point is a guy that's still alive <laughs> that 21 just assumed was dead. So that kind of snaps him out being like, oh, that guy can't be dead. This is all completely stupid. Yeah. Because it's a thing through this episode of, like, people thinking one thing and then other people being like, no, it's this other thing. Yeah. And then there's Doc, who didn't want to pay the escorts for sex, so decides to make a love potion out of bug extract to get it for free. Mm-mm. Um, things kind of fizzle out as the three boys sneak out to go and get Triana back with what they think will be a cool act of love. Um, he will dress goth and write her name in fire on her lawn. So while they're sneaking out of the prom, um, Monarch is congratulating 21 for infiltrating the compound and they should start a fire. Let's start a fire. Yep. But 21 flips out of the Monarch, quits and leaves. Um, how do you feel about that bit? It was, it had to happen. Whether you it's like good, it it's good to see, like, 21, who at this point we could probably start calling Gary. Mm. Um, it's good. It's fun to see him um, level up out of where he is. And, you know, you've got all the we've, argument about how We've been taking these baby kissed. steps there, but yeah. this is when he finally, like, does it. And when he comes back, it's on his own terms and stuff later. Like, it's good. And Monarch deciding that making a scene and making the prom awkward was his plan all along. He did it. Um, I like that 21 admits that he has a crush on, um, Mrs. the Monarch. How'd you feel about that bit? I was just gonna close the door, but alright. 
He doesn't have. He doesn't admit to having a crush on her. He, he admits to possibly thinking he has a crush on her. Yeah, and then it's revealed that they're swingers, which is weird because they also have like the strongest relationship in the show's canon. But, but like, they're also, but they're villains. That's what they do. Yeah, that's what they, that's what they say. It's funny. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. What else? Everyone is packed into this one, which means we also get a big return from Molotov cocktails. She stuns Brock and escapes with Monstroso, the real one hidden in Sphinx headquarters. Brock gives chase on the conjectural cycle while Mole drives the limo. It's a good action scene. I like him, like, purposely crashing and falling through the sunroof. And the, yeah. Yeah. That's cool stuff. Um, for, like, the hundredth time in this episode, meanwhile, Trister is wearing an American flag. He has Hunter take the helicarrier's wheel while they talk. It's like, you know, like a boat. Yeah. Steering wheel. Um, he says he's a smart guy. I'm sorry, Trister is a smart guy under all his filibuster and bullshit. He knows Cardholder and Doe were double agents, but he has his own doubles, including Skypilot. They were hidden in the fake Monstroso corpse um, for Cardholder and Doe to find and be captured by. Um, It's a cool reveal and a good send-off. He is retiring. Yeah. Um, He's going to fire himself into space for alien technology to cure his cancer and Hulkism. He cancer. Yeah, he says... I like his way of fixing it. Post it. Yeah, he's got a post note on his frozen chest floating through space just says, fix it. <laughs> um, yeah, and when Hunter's like, what's going to happen to OSI while you're gone? And he's like, it looks like it's in good hands to me. Because he's steering the ship. And he's proud of Hunter, um, who, you know, is left in control of OSI. Like, But he proved himself. Like, he says, you had the balls to literally chop off your balls. You had the balls to leave. You had the balls to start again. You had the balls to cut off your balls. Well, he's, he's dedicated to the actual duties that they are supposed to be doing behind all the bureaucracy and bullshit that clouds everything that they do. Mm. You know. Um, yeah, so long, Trista. We will meet again sometime. Isn't the that last right? last captain. I don't remember if it gets fixed. <laughs> we definitely know the Hulkism doesn't. Less PP cancer, more Hulkism. Yeah, more Hulk. I like Hulkism as a disease title. I am. I have severe a Hulkism. Hulk. Now that Trister is broken up with OSI, we have the next one, which is Brock and Molotov. Mm. How'd you feel about that thing? Uh, poor, poor Brock. Yeah, right. I, I felt that too. He tries so hard to. We've seen him cut her slack and get stabbed for it, like literally, like, oh, yeah. very many times. Mm hmm. Yep, he gets her limo pinned, teetering over a cliff. And, yeah, they sort of have their little breakup. He can't keep doing this back-and-forth loving and killing stuff. You know, it's very pre-hush Catwoman versus Batman. Um, she reveals she has given herself to Monstroso. Brock understands but can't let her go because, you know, because crimes. But she has a contingency. All the escorts back at the prom, they are Blackheart assassins. So, so he needs to let her go or they will kill everyone at midnight. Um... She goes over the cliff and Brock races to save his friends and family. Um, he gets back to find that she lied. Well, see... Midnight rolled around and they do not... Hang on a second. I thought the same thing mm-hmm. watching it. But later on I was thinking about it. They wouldn't have a chance. No, no, they didn't. She says at the stroke of midnight he leaves the cliffside at 11.52. He is, like, there what would have been in the nick of time, but everyone's just, like, casually doing their Exactly. Thing. The time's rolled over. I don't know. It has. When I say the nick of time, it is now midnight. I don't know. 
I think it's her, like, not actually doing wrong by him as a send-off. I mean... I think she lied to get away, but didn't actually threaten yeah. his friends and family. Which is... I feel like she does love him. Oh, I think so, too. Just, like, in she's just very, her own villainous fucking got She's got bad Cold War attitude about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... They aren't attacking anyone, but unfortunately that love potion turned them all into bug monsters, so he has to save everyone anyway. Hey, Rick potion he number looks- nine. You ain't fucking original. We already did it. He, he also looks pretty happy about it. He gets, to have, he gets to have a dumb little adventure and not think about things right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also like that he saved the day from the bug monsters, because fucking Rick Sanchez couldn't handle that shit. What a pussy. Yeah. <laughs> um... And lastly, we have Dean, dressed as a ghost, which is his idea of a goth outfit. Um, they make her name out of sticks and light them on fire, but Dermot ran out of gas on the first letter, which is a lowercase t. You can see where this is going. Dermot and Hank run away, and Outrider comes out and gives pretty good advice about letting Triana go. Don't you think? What he's saying is, like, genuine stuff. Oh, yeah. I'll give him credit for that. Um, and Dean's response is, fuck you. As we see him spiral into his, but that's the thing, into his I mean, emo phase this, immediately after this. this. This is the straw that breaks the Dean's back. Yeah. Um, there you go. What do you think about this season overall? It's not bad. It's a very tightly wound little machine. Yeah. But that's just what... But that's where the show itself is, the problem. Yeah. yeah. It just makes it hard for me to write down about um, what do you think a rusty venture was? I don't want to be a part of that. <laughs> Poor Vanilla Kyra is not prepared for that conversation in that episode. Nope. All right. Um, yeah, I I think this season is like like I've been saying this all through our coverage of the show. Like it starts off such a simple parody, and we are like the fact that I couldn't pack this season into two episodes like I normally can shows how like far it's come. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I like this season. I like pretty much every season after this. Like, I'm enjoying it. Literally, Robo-Bo is the one beat that I just that falls flat for me. Everything else is fucking great. I feel like you're trying to get an audio response out of me. Yeah, do anything. <laughs> Good night. Okay. Um. Yeah, thank you for listening. Stay tuned. Remember to rate, review, subscribe. There's going to be more episodes after this, probably. There'll be more episodes before this, probably. So, um, yeah. I've been your host, Harry Paula. Thank you to producer Kyle. Go team venture.